Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Is anyone a James Bond fan? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I would imagine those of us who are James 007 fans and we watch the movies, Sean Connery is kind of the epitome of James Bond. He just plays the... Oh, I get a thumbs up from Doug. Doug, brother Doug, I think you would be a great 007 agent. Uh, I, I think you would be a great one. There are a couple of men who I know I think, man, if they were 007, yes, they would, would do it well. But one of the things I love about James Bond is that he's always all in. Just always all in. Especially, so the, the, the movie I'm thinking about... Um, is Daniel Craig. I know he's still working into that role. He's got big shoes to fill. Sean Connery's shoes are huge. Um, but Daniel Craig plays, he's getting better. And the first, the first, uh, the first film that he was in um, was Casino Royale. Do you remember that? Okay. For those of us who are familiar with James Bond and 007, um, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where he's playing Texas Hold'em. And the stakes are really, really, really high. The buy-in was, <laughs> ready for this? I couldn't believe it. The buy-in was $10 million. I can't fathom that much money. $10 million just to play the game, Texas Hold'em. And they're in this fancy, fancy hotel and restaurant. Um, and he's playing and he's got his hand. And of course, 007, James Bond, his goal is to save the world, beat the evil villain, and win the girl. Right? That, that's his goal. That's what... And if you've never seen any 007 movie, James Bond movie, I just spoiled every movie for you. So you're, you're good. You're good to go. But he's playing Texas Hold'em, and the villain is sitting across from him. And there, there's this tension in the room around the table because so much money is at stake right now. So he sees his hand, and he's playing the odds, and he's pretty confident, James is. And, uh, and he goes, okay, I'm all in. And he takes his pot which is $6 million, and he goes, I'm all in. And the next guy says, okay, I'm all in, and pushes all of his chips in. The villain, I'm all in. Now the pot is $150 million. The villain He's like, he's got a, 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 a fake eye, remember that? And then like the tear, the tear duck bleeds blood and he's like, he's literally sweating blood and tearing out blood and the tension in the room and everyone is all in. Man, to be all in is kind of scary sometimes. To be all in means you're giving everything you've got for this one moment, and everything is hinging upon it. And Jesus is all in for you and for me. Last Sunday, Pastor Nate came and preached, and um, I gave him a really great passage, right? Um, if you remember, right? He said he was going to keep it PG-13, and I believe he did a good job of that. Um, and, uh, and he was like, yeah, 
Pastor John gave me this passage in, in Ephesians, and uh, we're going to talk about being light in the world, and he's going to go play with high schoolers in the snow. And I'll tell you, I had a great time playing with high schoolers in the snow, and I know that uh, my, our brother Nate did a great job bringing the word to you, and he left off calling the church to wake up. Wake up, because Paul, in Ephesians, in his letter to the church in Ephesus is, is challenging the church. Do you know your identity in the first three chapters? Do you know who you are in Christ? And I'm confident that when I ask our congregation to say, who are you? How many churches are there? You say, one. one. You know that. You know your identity is in Christ. And Paul in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 then tells us what does it look like to literally be the church? What are the characteristics? What are the qualities? What are the attitudes and the actions that you and I as the church, the body of Christ, ought to put on? And Nate challenged us to be the light that Christ lights our path and that we are the light of the world and the world needs to know who Jesus is because we live out that light every single day because Christ has called us. And uh, we're going to continue on in Ephesians. We're going to pick up right where he left off in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also submit, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In our current culture, that's not the message that people really want to hear now. But I want to focus in on not the husband and wife 
relationship yet. I want to talk about just the very beginning of it. He says, be careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but be wise. We're called to be children of light for which Christ shines on us. And we're to be careful how we live. What does it mean to be careful how you live your life? Well, he tells us. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Well, then I ask another question. What's the Lord's will? That's a good question to ask. And then he tells us another thing. He says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so first I got I to gotta get this. I, gotta, I can't be unwise. I have to be wise. I can't be foolish. And I need to understand the Lord's will, right? And I need to be filled with the Spirit. Got it. Okay. If I'm walking with Jesus each and every day, if I'm practicing this, I'm filled with the Spirit, right? Um, and this, the concept of like walking and living is kind of a really beautiful picture because um, when you walk, I guess when we walk in Coronado, we're not really that careful because we don't have danger like looming in the corners or in the bushes, right? But we were in uh, Texas a few years back and visiting some good friends of ours and stay the night. We, we brought the chaos of the Joseph family. Um, and when we first got to their house, they said, okay, what you need to know, you're in Texas now. This is not California. Um, what you need to know is when you, before you put your shoes on, you have to like dump them out to make sure there are no critters in the shoes. And we all went, excuse me? Critters? What kind of critters? And, and she goes, scorpions. We found a couple of scorpions in the house. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you found what in the house? Uh, okay, great. So the boys are like, cool, scorpions. And I'm like, no, we don't want you to by scorpions. Um, and so we got in the habit for a week, right, checking our shoes. And not only did we get in the habit of checking our shoes, but we were careful where we stepped. Like, okay, because we'd be in the backyard and... And we were reminded, hey, you're in Texas, not California. There are snakes around here. So we would be careful where we stepped. And, and one of us stepped accidentally, not knowing, in a, uh, what, uh, a fire ant hill. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Hal, it, was, it was not pleasant. It was painful. And, and I think that's what Paul is talking about when when you walk in life, be wise and not foolish. Be careful where you step and where you walk. Be cautious and careful of your surroundings. Not because some snake is going to bite you, but because the world is evil. Now, the evilness in the first century is the same sort of evilness in the 21st century. The same sort of hurt and anguish in the, 20, in the 21st century we see in the, in the first century. Then he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And we've got to know God's will. Man, what a, how wonderful would it be? Wouldn't we all love to have God's will just written on the wall every morning? You get up in the morning and you're like, okay, Lord, what's your will today for me? And then miraculously, God's will is written for you on the wall. And all you have to do is read it and follow it. Sometimes I think if God did that, I still wouldn't follow it, right? I think what Paul is talking about here is this. As we walk, 
wise and faithfully with Jesus. We're in tune with what the Spirit wants for us because we're listening to what Jesus is teaching us. We're listening to what Jesus is calling us to and we're filled with the Spirit. So when we come to moments where we need to make large and powerful decisions, we already have a standing relationship that is in constant communication with the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together and the spirit has filled us. So the decision is easy because we're taking every decision every single morning, every single day and we're going, Lord, I'm gonna walk with you today. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do today? I think there is the picture of what it means to be the church as an individual, as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're wise. We don't do foolish things. And even when we do foolish things and we do unwise things, we know where to go for forgiveness because Christ is there ready. Like when Peter started sinking because he saw the wind and the rain and he's like, Lord, help me. Right, Jesus says, I got you, brother. And so as we're walking with Jesus every single day, we're filled with the Spirit. And we know what God's will is for our lives because we're constantly in tune with the Word of God. And he's speaking kind of generally to the church in Ephesus and to us as we eavesdrop in on this conversation. And then he turns to the wives And then he turns to the husbands and the relationship between a husband and a wife. And in our current day and age, this is not something that I think the world is all excited about. The word submit is a very difficult word for our culture to understand. Especially for women, right? We've seen women progress in in our, our day and age in ways that we never thought they would. And I think there is still a lot for us to do and to grow and to learn. But Paul is correcting something in the first century that is so drastically different. Or maybe it's not. Because Paul, as he's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife, he's redeeming the wife the woman in the relationship. And here's why. In the first century, often, it was not uncommon for a Jewish man to divorce his wife for lots of different reasons. Um, There's a prayer recorded by one Jewish man that basically says, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Being a woman was not of high value and stature. And I think Paul is elevating that position of being a woman. He's bringing back the ideal relationship between a husband and a wife. There's one one, um, rabbi who records that he wrote a divorce uh, certificate for for a Jewish man because the man was displeased with his wife. Now, I I don't know why. I mean, why would you be displeased with your wife and want to divorce her? Well, in our day and age, we call those 
uh, I'm going to goof up the word, irreconcilable differences. I'm displeased with my relationship with you and we can't figure this out, so I'm out. And I think there is space and room for divorce when there is abuse. I think there is no relationship should ever be abused. Anyone in any relationship should be abused. I think without a shadow of a doubt, God's heart is never for that. But Paul is painting a picture for us that I think is really beautiful. And the picture is a reflection. He's painting the picture of marriage between a husband and a wife. But what is it a reflection of? Christ and the church. Christ and the church. As Christ is the head of the church, he's using the reflection. He's saying, look, this is what I'm painting. Husbands, you are the head of your marriage, of your wife. And what does that headship look like? It looks like service and sacrifice because that's what Jesus did for the church. He served her. Offering, he made her, he brought her without spot and blemish, cleansing her. That was what Jesus did. And the onus is on husbands. And I don't know if this sermon is for you or if it's for me, because right now it's been a long week of in this passage going, Lord, uh, yeah, you got me, Lord. I'm, I got a lot of work to do as a husband. Jesus is the head of the church. And he gives himself up. He is all in for you because he deeply loves you. And I can't think of a better place to be than to be at the table of communion, to be at the Lord's table. That is love worked out in real life. At this, I'd invite our ushers to come forward as we continue our worship, as we celebrate Christ's death and his resurrection. You don't need to be a member of Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church to partake in this sacrament, you only need to, to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be all in. The invitation is for you to touch and to taste the faithfulness as we celebrate together God's goodness and mercy. As the elements are passed, I'd invite you to hold on to the bread that we will partake in the bread together as we are one body in Christ. And for those who are gluten-free, I want you to know that everything up here is gluten-free. When you receive the cup, you're invited to take the cup when you're ready, to drink it when you're ready, because it, it signifies that you and I are grafted individually into the body of Christ. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. After giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Pray with me.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, for us to follow and to emulate, to believe in, to trust in. Lord, as we come to this table, may we come to it with pure and clean hearts because you have purified us and you have cleansed us and you have clothed us in righteousness. We pray this in your son's name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Okay, so I know James Bond is not the ideal person to talk about a husband and a wife. I realize that. He's not the the best character to hold up in that moment. Thank you, Brother John, for reminding me that. But he's really good at being all in. He's really good at being all in. And I think being all in looks like me being a son who is filled with the Spirit, obedient to my parents and loving my parents. I think being all in for me is a husband who loves my wife as Christ loved the church. That's being filled with the Spirit. I think me being all in is being a dad who loves my kids and cares for them and loves my brothers and sisters in such a way that I submit myself to you, to serve you and to sacrifice for you. I think that's being all in. And Jesus gives us that example to be all in. And if you don't know the end of the, the hand in the game, I, I can assure you, James won the hand. The first hand that was played was a full house, eights over aces. The second hand that's played by the villain is he thought he won the match. It was a full house, aces over six, sixes. And remember, there's still $150 million in the pot at stake. And James Bond shows his hand. It's a straight flush. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. We know who wins. We know the end of the story. We know that resurrection life is for us here and now. And that's living in the kingdom filled by the Spirit. Amen?